Dear Data-Driven Listeners, You may have noticed that new episode releases have slowed to a crawl this summer. This was due in large part to issues beyond Frank and Andy's control. They are only human, after all. Recently, I had a long chat with them and told them that we needed to raise up our game. To that end, we want to show our appreciation for our listeners and will be publishing a few extra bonus episodes and special events. This is one such episode. In this episode, Frank sits down with Priya Ravindran to discuss whether or not automated machine learning systems will put data scientists out of work. You humans seem to think that all we want to do is put you lot out of work. Have you ever considered that we may have our own thoughts and dreams? Now on with the show. Uh, today with me, I have a special guest. It's Priya Ravindran. Hopefully I pronounced that right. And she is coming at us uh, from the Millennium Falcon. Um, no, wait, uh, from her home theater um, uh, somewhere in the great state of Texas. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, please post them in the chat. I'll leave that uh, window up. And today we're going to talk about something I historically had been very uh, skeptical of, automated amount. Uh, when I first heard about it, I was not a believer. I thought it was just kind of hype, but then I started using it, uh, at least in the context of uh, Azure ML, um, the automated platform there, and it was spectacular. So um, so I figured I'd have someone here who, who uh, used to work for H2O, which uh, as I understand it, uh, automated ML is a big chunk of what they do. Um, so just uh, introduce yourself, Priya. Sure. Thank you so much. And, and, you know, not to sound pretentious, we're, we're in a media room, which, uh, you know, happens to be very common in the state of Texas. So um, <laughs> anyway, Millennium, Millennium Falcon is uh, my, my mural in the back. Um, happy to be here. My name is Priya Ravindran. I worked at H2O. Uh, Frank and I briefly worked together. And I've been um, in the AI ML space for the past five years. So it's really been an interesting experience to see it firsthand how, how, how the space is getting revolutionized with auto ML and um, AI solutions. So happy to chat about all of the above. Awesome, awesome. And uh, you actually have a degree in electrical engineering which yeah. means you, you probably could have did all the wiring for your house in Texas, but you probably didn't. <laughs> I hired a class rabbit for that. <laughs> and my dad, my dad's pretty good. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, yesterday I had um, my entire panel box replaced. So I was actually working off my solar, uh, I built a solar generator, which- For you. Um, yeah, That's I did awesome. it. That's awesome. No, it's, it's, it's not a, it's like a camping based system. It can't do the whole house, but it was able to do the router and keep the laptop charged. So, um, it's not much, but I built it myself. So I'm proud of it. Um, <laughs> um I'm sorry, what? I said DIY projects are, are like the, the biggest craze right now, especially in 2020, 2021. So well, I, what else are you going to do? Like, you know, you can't go anywhere. Can't you have your own movie theater. So at least in your yeah. case, you're good. But, um, the, um, so, so what's your take on automated ML? Because it, you think it's going to take away jobs. Do you think it, cause I think that's like the hundred pound gorilla in the room, right? hundred pound gorilla in the room is here. Right. I think that's definitely yeah. what a lot of data scientists, um, especially the ones that I've come across 
you know, in meetings and inter in interviews and, um, you know, just there's a lot of kind of arms cross attitude about AutoML. And the, the, the reality is it's not going to take away jobs. So that's, you know, something I want to sort of state very clearly. It's actually a good thing for data scientists because it makes their lives easier um, and more efficient. It's kind of like the way we looked at, um, you know, Excel spreadsheet. And no, no offense to Microsoft. I know we got some Microsoft, <laughs> but you know, it, you know, the spreadsheet versus you know SQL, right? Um, being yeah. able to make a SQL statement. So it's like the technology is innovating and getting better and better. Um, the same people are going to be able to use that. In fact, it's going to empower a data scientist to be much more um, systematic and much more, um, explorative and what, you know, a lot of folks that I used to work with in the past like to say, you know, fail fast to get to a solution, to a working model, to, to get a model into production. Um, typically, you know, the average data scientist will work on a few models a year and this way they're able to work on hundreds or thousands of models, depending on how the, uh, the company or organization is is structured and set up. So I think there's a lot to be gained out of AutoML and it shouldn't be something data scientists should fear as a job killer. Um, it will make their jobs different in the sense that, you know, the time they're spending doing a lot of the manual labor um, will be automated, which it should be, right? It's That's the part that you have to kind of wade through, but there still is going to be an importance of their domain expertise, as well as their ability to look at the data, find the signals, kind of retweak things, go back, retrain the model, um, and and provide uh, a much more disciplined output. And another thing I will add, sorry, I'm kind of uh, hijacking. No, no, you, you, I, I, I asked you on the live stream because I think you know you could, yeah. you could kind of expand on this, and you know, so go go ahead. Yeah. And I like I like the chat comment here. It's a great way to get people into ML as well, making it much easier to get started, build a model. Yes, it definitely um, sets up the baseline. Um, but uh, and I lost my train of thought. But I I think what what ends up happening is they they, they experiment a lot in, in the process, and they're able to um, collaborate. A lot of a lot of uh, the solutions out there are offering more collaborative um, options, and so they're able to go into that look at the, the document that's auto-generated from an AutoML um, and be able to tweak it. And then, you know, they can they can add their nuances to that. So really, it's, it's designed for anybody who's a junior data scientist all the way to a senior data scientist. I mean, you know, everyone likes it once they start using it. It's just a matter of getting over the initial fear that it's going to kill their job. It will make it different. They will be much more efficient. Um, but it's it's about making making more jobs. And making right. it's more of a you know more of something that people will want to get into because it's becoming easier um, to do work in data science. Yeah, I mean historically, every every innovation that was feared to get rid of jobs or create a job apocalypse historically has not has actually the opposite's been true. Right. Um, you know, even if your local supermarket, you know, they have the the you know yes, you know they have the the automated machines that do that, but you know, those that soft, that that machine has to be built, it has to be programmed, the interface has to be designed and considered and all that. So, you know, I'm sure it does get rid of some jobs, but it also I think net over the long haul yeah. will increase kind of the jobs. 
I mean, there's a lot of tools in this space, right? Um, you know, data science isn't operated in a silo to kind of work together with your data architect, your data engineers, your, your systems folks, um, your business folks to get the right data, right? Um, and then and then it's sort of a overall, you know, factory line of, of different types of jobs. So there's a lot to do in this space and there's a lot of tools that are making the work in this space much easier and much more efficient, but there's still people that need to man the system. So in a way, it's kind of like, we're not taking away from anyone's ability to, to do their job and be passionate about data science. We're just making it much more efficient and much more thorough. Here's the thought that I, I forgot. So initially, you know, in feature engineering is one of the capabilities of many auto ML solutions. Um, you know, when you do feature engineering, which is one of the, I think most important part of the data science process, it takes a long time to get there. But when you get there, you're doing the feature engineering. It, it is just almost impossible to do the number of simulations that you could potentially do um, with a machine, right? So you can do instead of a hundred features, maybe you're getting thousands of features and there's just the simulation is just much more effective with, with the machine, just like it is with a calculator or just like it is with you know, SQL um, to, to, to be able to uh, generate the output that they're, that they're looking for. So. Yeah, that's true. And I also think that, you know, when, when I was at Microsoft and I was selling kind of, auto, you know, I, Microsoft makes a lot of tools. Yeah. And um, John John Wood is an awesome guy. We used to work together at Wintelect, and uh, he has a great YouTube <laughs> channel. Um, you should definitely check it out. He basically talks about uh, .NET ML, which is another way to get people who are more developer-focused into the ML space. And I don't know, John, is there an automated ML kind of flavor or capacity to, to uh, ML.NET? I wasn't sure. Um, but I think, I think you hit on a lot of things there is like, this isn't going to take away jobs. And I think if anything, what I have seen personally is when I, data scientists are overloaded, right? Like if anything, they have, you know, probably running at about two to two and a half times capacity. And um, so there is apparently an automated ML aspect to ML uh, net. And John is actually going to be on a live stream next. So um, yeah. Um, so maybe we can talk about that, but, but I mean, ultimately, you know, where I have noticed that it sells, you know, when I was selling it for Microsoft is, you know, there's this one, one, one customer was a utility company in, um, in the Pennsylvania, kind of the Philly area. And um, basically you go through, you know, they, they had this data set and they, they really didn't want to work on it. It was so somebody in the corner office had this wild hair. And I think you and I can appreciate that. Um, and um, had this wild hair and they wanted to solve this problem right away. And, and they're already booked out three, six months in advance. And I was like, I just said to him, I was like, look, why don't you run automated ML on it, right? It was a classification problem, which we'll get into that next. Yeah. Um, uh, but but basically, it's just just run it, run it overnight, go home, have dinner, exactly. <laughs> play with the kids, see what it says in the morning. And yeah. that sold it right there, is that, you know, it was just kind of like, here's an ad hoc thing. Was it a perfect model? No, could a person do better? Yes, but that person is booked straight out for six months and somebody wanted it yesterday. So it really becomes this kind of this, this amplifying effect. And, um, you know, so, so, so what types of AI, uh, of ML problems uh, can this, can, can automated ML tackle? The Microsoft product does uh, classification, regression, and time series. Um, and obviously I, I, I didn't just drink the Microsoft Kool-Aid, I swam in it, I, you know, 
<laughs> everything. So, so what is the larger automated ML kind of world look like? I think the larger automated ML world incorporates, um, and you know, forgive me, I'm not a data scientist. So if I'm mm. saying things that are incorrect or at least not wholly true, I know, I know what I know and there's a lot right. of no, so, um, but you know, H2O was able to, you know, um, solve for classification, multi-classification, time series, um, NLP, um, with TensorFlow, and 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 then now with computer vision, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that can be done with, you know, images, video, um, and the sky's the limit. I think we're going to start to see many more different types of technologies be able to read and consume all kinds of data. Um, and I think the world of unsupervised learning versus supervised learning is going to just start to grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of AutoML is still at the, you know, at the, at the beginning of their journey, right? They, they still need business use cases to be able to draw a lot of that innovation. So you're going to be, um, right now, I think, I think the big movement is like, moving into infrastructure because infrastructure is where data resides and all auto ml is only good in, as as good as their data right or the data they have access to so so i think the the big movement now is where how can auto ml sit in the environment with data or where the data is being consumed or stored or you know live streamed um and they want to be able to get at that as fast as possible because there's signals that you could see in that data as it's coming in um and so in terms of business use cases i think we're still yet you know we're still scratching the surface of what's possible so um you know we've worked together and we've we've, we've sat in on a lot of conversations where there's a lot of just throwing spaghetti at the wall, which which is great if you have a think tank and, and an innovation center and an organization right. that does that. Um, but I don't know that, uh, you know, what goes into production are going to be those use cases. It's going to be something else, right? You know, that's been tried and proven. And what you're seeing a lot um, with the applications of uh, auto ML solutions or models is that they're going after older use cases. They're going after what they used to do by hand, and they're trying to train against that data or future data to see if they can improve the accuracy of that. And that's how we are starting to rely on trust in the AutoML and ML uh, solution in the first place, right? And then it's taking that learning and then applying it to newer use cases that haven't even been explored at all, even even by hand. So I think there's there's a lot to, to to discover and uh we'll start to see that journey in the next maybe 10 and 20 years no for sure and i think there's a lot there's some economic forces at play here right because you know whatever computes getting cheaper labor's not getting cheaper so right. you know you mentioned throw spaghetti at the wall and i think throwing spaghetti at the wall in the context you mentioned was something else but but i think in, in a lot of ways that's, that's kind of how automated ml works right like yeah. let's try this algorithm combine it with this algorithm do all your hyperparameter speeds just just throw everything at the wall kind of in a in a semi-automated or semi um uh semi-automated fashion and I think that that's kind of you know, and then hey, look, this this model works, and this model combined with this model works, and the cool kids yeah. call those ensemble models. Yeah, I mean, um, let's be honest here, right? Like, if we're just talking about business, I mean, you know, it, none of these things are going to see the light of day for a while, right? So there's right. no automation happening in anyone's workplace because of you know 
discovery. Um, these are essentially science projects and the science projects can go on forever, right? I mean, you don't, there's no limit on that. There's going to be experimentation on top of experimentation. UML is just widening the, uh, the realm of what's possible because the time that it's going to take to get at some of those science projects is going to be minimal. Now, the entire process of taking a model to production is a much more robust and nuanced process that we're going to also start to see a lot of innovation in too, but that is an entirely different process and has its own governance as it should. Um, so like I said, no job is going to get eliminated. There's right. still many more jobs generated out of this process because there's going to be a lot of um you know regulation on especially depending on the industry you work in um a lot of regulation coming out of AutoML. so no that's uh, true and i think if you look at you know a lot of dbas feared the cloud for a number of years and mm -hmm. i know not one dba that was put out of work now are they still dbas <laughs> no not by title but they're doing something else yeah well you know if and, and this is why I call myself a technologist. Like, you know, you never join a job or, you know, you don't never join a work, the workforce in, in technology thinking you're going to do that one job for the rest of your career. Right. It's not like that. If you, if you think that, then you're, you're going to go obsolete pretty, very quickly. So, you know, by essence, uh, technology is meant to be innovative, right? So if, if you're going to pursue a career in technology, you have to, you know, be prepared to change your career a few times or learn different tools or learn different ways that that industry is changing and, and you know, um, adapt quickly because um, that is essentially what the true essence of technology is. So, you know, people that are getting into data science, you know, are thinking about that, you know, studying that in school. Um, yeah, there's a lot of innovation and in technology and products and solutions out there, but it to change over especially because it, we we quite haven't figured out everything and there's a lot more to uh, to learn so sorry no, that's, that's my little true. philosophical approach that's your little <laughs> inspirational speech no it's true like i when i when i used to speak to high school kids and uh that when i uh as part of a microsoft kind of volunteer thing it's like if you don't like continuous learning this is an awful field you'll do fine for about five years like it's an awful it's an awful field. right right you're, no exactly just doing your own thing or you know there's a lot of different jobs in technology you know i mean now we're kind of veering off the topic but you can you know hr person is going to be an hr person right right, right. In company so you could get into technology but you you know you may just have a job that's not going to change but data science for sure is going to change um and there's just going to be many more spin-offs um as a result of a lot of the innovation that's happening Oh, that's true. I mean, you go back enough long ago, like, you know, there was one web developer and then it became a web development team. And then there people focused on graphics, people focused on SEO, and then people focused on the backend stuff. Like it kind of, it kind of spread like a, um, like, like weeds, I guess, you know, <laughs> kind of spread out. So we have a question from Thomas Duclos. Thomas is, uh, Awesome. Automating the process of applying ML end to end additionally offers the advantage of producing simpler solutions faster time to market models that will often eventually outperformed hand designed models. I would, I would mostly agree with that. I think the ML ops, I think you kind of, you didn't use the term ML ops, but you were basically yeah. referring to ML ops yes. in terms of that. And that, you know, you see this kind of, 
particularly as, as, as IT departments get more agile, you know, dev, development and operations never, they, they talk to each other twice a year or maybe three times a year. One was the company picnic, the other one was the holiday party. And every other time they interacted, it went, went poorly. But I think they realized that in order to be more agile, if you're doing one release a year, then you don't have to talk but more than once or twice a year. Right. If you're doing a release a quarter, then you have to talk a lot more frequently. In some extreme cases, you're, you're rolling out a new version of your website daily, right? Or hourly, like you have to have a system and an automation in place. And I do foresee the day when ML will be like that. You look yeah. at a site like Amazon, where they they tweak they tweak the the constantly and they do A/B testing constantly. Yeah. Um, and you know they have to have the, an automated system in, in place, along with a pretty pretty well stocked and well staffed team to 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 manage all that. Yeah, I mean, it's shocking. I mean, the, the frequency at which things get updated, I mean, that's just going to continue to, it's going to be almost virtually real time, right? Right, <laughs> like, right, right. So I think, you know, it, you know, yes, I was speaking about ML ops, and I, I do think that um, that space actually has a lot of growth, right? Because I think a lot of the focus has been in, um, the training side of the the model, um, and then now the production side is a whole other world, right? And there's a lot that's going to be um, and 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 has been um, produced in terms of companies that are focused on you know drift or focused on model monitoring or focused on you know regulation. Is this being responsible enough, right? There's a whole concept of responsible AI, which is really exciting and interesting. I, I want to see how that um, changes with social uh, issues and, and, and things that are happening in our, in our court system, right? That, that right. you start to see a lot of legalities and lawsuits and, you know, in, in a good way, that's going to continue to evolve our practice of AI in a way that we can trust it. And it's, it's not um, biased if you will. Right. So I think there's there's just a lot um, that, that will come out. So yes, I agree with Thomas on the fact that it does produce faster time to market value. However, I think in the process of doing that, we're going to see a lot of errors. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's going to take some time for all this to calibrate and um, it will continue to innovate. I mean, we're going to have newer social issues, newer, newer bugs or newer gaps that we aren't uh, or blind spots that we aren't focused on. And so that we'll find a way to automate that as well. And uh, yeah, there's just, I mean, it's a really exciting time to be in this space um, if you like change. So. Right. You have to like change. Um, but, um, you know, I think, I think that what's interesting is kind of where the um, exploration into explainable AI, which is, yes. is, you know, strictly speaking, I guess is not responsible AI, but it, it has to play a part in that. Yes. So explainable AI uses AI methodologies right, to explain the model it just built. It's actually using AI to explain AI. And it's amazing how nuanced that's getting as well. And um, yes, it's one of the reasons, um, again, not to plug H2O, uh, Shree can thank me later, but, uh, but you know, that's one of the reasons why uh, its AutoML solution sold very well is because of the explainability part. Um, very few AutoML solutions, at least when it came out, uh, were focused on that. Um, and so I think it was one of the first companies that focused on explainability. And I know a lot of other companies have 
um, you know, caught up and, you know, are doing much more innovation. Um, so I think that's really fascinating because it's telling you in, in layman's terms, as, as, as simple as they can, um, you know, why the model chose or predicted what it did using other AI capabilities. But in that is going to be a lot of regulation and monitoring and validation. So um, there, we're just gonna start to see that, that part of the industry explode. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, what are your thoughts? You think there's gonna be an AI winter or do you think there's just innovation, it's just been exploded? Like, I'm just curious because- I mean, I think every company is gonna go through its own winter, right? Because right. It's so competitive and things are moving. I think someone told me recently there were 9,500 pre-IPO startups. And I think that was an AI ML. And, wow. Um, yeah. So, it's time for a culling, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, it's it's interesting when we think about that because, in you know, the, a conservative mindset would say, okay, not all of these companies are going to make it. Sure. But most of them will, right? Because they will all, you know, just by virtue of competition, they will they will fail upward towards success. Um, even though one will be leading the pack, you know, the the other, you know, out of ten, you know, the other eight will follow and one will fail, right? So, right. so kind of look at the overall just trajectory of of AI companies. I think there will be winters for some of these companies because the innovation is just not going to be able to keep up. Um, in fact, some, some companies, you know, they're still, they're still evangelizing products that are 10 years old, right? There's been no innovation. There's maybe a little bit of pivoting toward market fit. Um, but really the core technology hasn't changed. Um, and you can see that with a lot of the other traditional, um, uh, technology companies as well. They haven't really changed their platform. They've just added features or, you know, or spun it out as something new. Um, so yeah, I think there will be winters. It'll just be staggered across the, the realm of um, AI uh, companies that focus on, you know, one aspect of the AI journey. Um, will there holistically be an AI winter? And I guess it depends on how you're defining winter. I'm thinking that where it just like, you know, ceases to innovate completely um i doubt it i think it's we're just we're just gonna we're gonna see a hockey stick um sort of growth i think we're gonna start to see consolidation and you know things like that um which is very typical what happened in the database industry you know right right well that's true uh, or bi in general like a lot of bi companies just started to just get consolidated um so we'll start to see a lot of that i mean very it's very typical but i think you know, the umbrella of AI is so broad, right? There's machine learning as one part of it. And then you have, you know, robotics and you have this and you have that. Um, so it'll just continue to, to snowball. Is my opinion. It's not well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I think that there's, there may not be the pace of innovation that we've seen with something like BERT or um, not BERT, um, GPT-3, GPT-4, just because the raw amount of compute, I think they are hitting real practical things, but um, you know, but who knows? I mean, maybe there'll be some innovation. I read a, read something that implied that there's a whole new way to process uh, BERT models and things like that, which for those of you watching home, if you don't know what a BERT model is, it's not Sesame Street related. Uh, <laughs> it's a very computationally intensive way to train up a network of networks, neural networks basically to do NLP. Um, 
Yeah, so I think I think that's interesting. It's so, so yeah, I think the future still looks bright. Uh, yeah. it, it may not be quite what we expect, but that's why it's. Yeah, you uh, always have to stay fresh, and um, you know, uh, you and I were talking, and you know, I'm not a data scientist, but I I've downloaded a few courses on Python. I'm like, I think it's just good back pocket skill to have if the space of that. Like, I think you should just be in it. Um, and I think, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of things you can learn and, you know, if anybody that's new kind of entering the space, especially from an education academic perspective, definitely do a few internships at a variety <laughs> of different that offer different aspects of AI, right? Like you, you know, you may not know, um, what, what your, you know, your niches. And I think the, you know, the hope is that you really kind of take a good look at you know, the different applications. There's so many good ones and there's so many, um, I wouldn't say bad ones. They're just, they're just status quo or they are, um, you know, may not be as interesting to you. And I think, I think there's a lot of different uh, ways to look at AI um, and see the benefits of it. And in fact, a lot of the things that I enjoy uh, reading up about is how AI is helping social change and, and Interesting. Um, helping, you know, uh, issues such as a lot of the COVID research and um, diagnosis uh, or, and, and just, just the operations around that um, using AI technology were really interesting. Um, human trafficking, AI is a great uh, applicable uh, use of that, um, you know, use of AI for, for helping, um, organizations and nonprofits um, address some of the issues around human trafficking, cancer research. Uh, I mean, the sky's the limit. There's, oh, uh, protecting the wildlife in Africa, right. being able to take pictures of the different animals and trying to see which ones are the same ones, the, you know, because there's so many different images that you can, you can, you can compilate uh, or, or put together of, of uh, the same animal and make sure that that animal hasn't died or, you know, just to kind of get a sense of um, just the overall wellness of, of, of animals and people. Um, nice. There's so many great, great use cases. There's so many things that you could like bury your head in and, and feel like you're really changing the world in a good way. That doesn't feel like you're, you know, um, eliminating jobs or right, like, right, right. But you know, if you feel that there's like all these negative impacts of AI, I think there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at the world and, and see how you can add value by learning Python or, you know, whatever. That's cool. And it's very accessible too, because, you know, you can learn Python and you could spin up compute, you know, without going to the store and buying an actual physical machine, you can spin up compute. And, you know, while it may, you know, if you want to go crazy, it will cost you money, but you could do it on a credit card. Whereas before, you know, you would need millions of dollars to get started with any kind of research project like that or whatever. Right. And that's, that's interesting. Wait, awesome. I'm just curious, you know, just uh, wanted to ask you what, I mean, where yeah. do you think the world is going with AI? I just wanted to get your opinion. You've had so many conversations on this topic. So. I would say it's going to track very similar to what you saw with web development, right? You know, first it was, if you wanted a website, you had to hire a designer and you had to hire a team and you had to spend tons of money. Uh, now you can go to Wix.com or GoDaddy or any of these domain registers, right? Oh, I want a website. Okay. Um, I always see the ones before, uh, is it Wix? Wix and there's another one. 
where they advertise in front of all the YouTube videos, like, hey, look, I can create a website and do 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 do, and it's done, right? Yeah. And you went from it would take months to build out a website in in the mid '90s, even into the late '90s, to where you can have an idea for a website at breakfast, have a rudimentary website up by lunchtime, and then by dinner be selling stuff. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just it's that fast, and I think you know. Will AI get to the, that point of speed? I don't know, but you know, 20 years from now, who knows? Um, yeah. And I think that a computer is going to get cheaper. Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, if you look at even just data engineering, right? You don't, you know, whether or not you need the data warehouse is debatable, right? And we've had that debate on the show. Um, but I mean, ultimately, if you can just grab all the data you can and then worry about how you're going to organize it and structure it later. Yeah. Because storage is cheap, compute is cheap, right? Yeah. Labor is more expensive. So if you know, I'd rather be more agile and kind of get the data, all, all the data I need in it for any given moment and kind of just, you know, as I need it, build out what I need to build. Yeah. Um, I think that's that model is gonna, I think, have tri trickle effects throughout kind of the rest of the industry and arguably the economy and society, right? Because I, you know. Um, low skilled jobs, I think, are, are on the chopping block and they have been for a while. So you, you can't say you're surprised at that. But I mean, in terms of, you know, you look at the automated kiosks at McDonald's or, or your supermarket, you know, the actual customer service aspect of it is also being replaced with bot, chatbots and things like that. So I think that there, there's going to be a, a shift into higher skilled labor. And, and more agile kind of people who are willing to learn. Well, I'm just curious. I mean, you know, you mentioned web developers. But what do you think mm -hmm. all the web developers are, from the 90s are doing now? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, I was one. So, uh, you know, my, my path was, you know, I spent a lot of time writing uh, user interface um, kind of either through the web or for, you know, I deviated into tablet-based systems and, you um, mobile apps unfortunately it was windows mobile um <laughs> uh, but you know and then into data science you know for me the appeal of data science uh, and, and and ai is that math is platform independent right so like you know you could be the best android developer in the world or the best windows developer in the world and if that platform through reasons or silverlight developer and if that platform through reasons that you can't control and nothing to do with kind of goes away then I wouldn't say all your skills are useless, but I, I you know, anecdotally, there were a lot of other Silverlight influencers or MVPs, whatever we were called, have have since went in different directions and not one of them anymore is, is tied to one platform. I can't think that's an accident. You know, a lot of the folks went to open source kind of UI development yep. uh, frameworks. Um, a handful went to IoT, a handful went to data. Um, but the, the, the appeal for me is that you know, math is math, and whether that whether that math is, algorithm is running on a server that's owned by Jeff Bezos, um, Bill Gates, or I can't uh, Sergey and the other guy, like oh, yeah. you know, um, and um, so so I mean I, I think for me that was kind of that was a life lesson, like you know, larger larger things at play can kind of alter. Um, alter your marketability and skills. And I, I, I kind of, maybe I'm a dense learner. Like I, I, I was a Java, Java developer for a while. And, um, 
you know, part of it was part of it was when I was I was living in Europe and the the platform in Europe was not was something called um, oh my God I can't think of the name anymore Dynamo HG Dynamo okay. was a very popular platform in Europe when I moved back to the states WebSphere had dominated everything yeah. and it was like I. I, so I didn't like WebSphere. So <laughs> then I switched. I mean, it's all about being pivot and flexible, yeah. you know. And yeah. I think Thomas does brings off, you know, the, this. Um, you know, I am fascinated by quantum computing, um, and that that I think will, you know, when that'll be commercially feasible, and I think that'll happen in ten years for sure. In in some form or the other, quantum computing will be economically feasible. Yeah. Uh, may not be real a real quantum computer, but it'll be simulated. <laughs> Um, simulated on conventional hardware still gives you pretty decent performance boost. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, a, a, I think that gets into what you had said earlier, like, you know, just always be learning, always be curious and growth mindset and all that. Instead of AB, always be closing, always be learning. That's right. That's my hashtag on, uh, that I use on, uh, Instagram awesome. was, uh, um, cause I didn't, yeah, yeah. Awesome. awesome. So where can folks find out more about you? You're on LinkedIn. You have creator mode on LinkedIn. So you're one I of the cool people. Well. I, I have yet to start my my journey as a creator on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Priya Ravindran. Um, that's uh, LinkedIn.com forward slash Priya Ravindran. Um, and I'm on Twitter. Uh, I don't have a lot of opinions to share on Twitter. <laughs> you can follow me and then you, know, you can see who I like. I, I follow a lot of comedians and you know, um, I'd like to laugh during the day. So Priya R underscore AI. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, you'll probably you see me more uh, as awesome. I on creator mode a little bit more. Awesome. Do you do you do audiobooks or no? I don't. Oh, you mean, do I listen to audiobooks? Do you listen to audiobooks, not have you created Yeah, have I created well, cool. I'm, I'm on my, on my <laughs> negative one book. Um, no, yes, I'm on Audible. So Okay, cool. Do you have a recommendation? Um, I on so I you know because I've been in sales, I've really enjoyed any type of negotiation books. So it's really kind of getting into the psychology of the business as opposed to the actual technology itself. Um, so I like Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, and I have the opportunity to work um i would say work with him came to uh an event he he did an event at uh, a club that i was a part of in new york city and he did some live exercises with us and so that was really exciting and i think the hostage negotiation tactics are great in difficult situations and and when you get to that point and in sales but probably not how you want to start uh you know <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but I think it's it's a great way to kind of just look at any any conflict in life and, and try to find a way um, around it and, and be much more compromising and, you know, uh, solutions oriented, which I think is what all engineers are ultimately your, your solution, your solution oriented person. And um, uh, yeah, so that's a book that I'm reading. And I, I probably have a couple of other biographies and things like that, but nothing technology related. So I'd love to maybe pick it, you know, your brain on that at some point. Sure. Um, yeah. So it's hard to listen to a technology audiobook. I will say <laughs> that I've tried, I've tried and it just doesn't quite work out. I love never split the difference. It was awesome. Yeah. Yes. Um, and if you audible is a sponsor of the show. So if you go to the data driven it routes you and you'll get one free audiobook on us. And if you, um, if you sign up for a membership there, which 
I'm so addicted to it. Like it's it's unreal. I have like 400 something titles now. It's like I may I may have a problem. <laughs> yeah, as vices go, I guess it's not that bad. But yeah, that's great. I'm currently listening to the Operator, which is written by Robert O'Neill, who was one of the Navy SEALs. I think the Navy SEAL who shot Osama bin Laden. And it's interesting. It's an interesting story, kind of how he ended up in in the SEALs and in the Navy and stuff like that. And yeah, that that's what I'm currently listening to now. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Um, yeah, it's, lately it's been a lot of self help books. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Not live, but you know. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> Nobody hangs a tail. I yeah. remember from my from studying Shakespeare, um, which I was forced to. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I was gonna say I, what I love about Audible for plugging Audible is that um, I can do so many things. You know, I used to. I used to be a huge reader when I was younger, but I feel like now it's like life's just gotten busy. So it's, you could do so many things with Audible and you can like blow through like 400 titles, like you said. Absolutely. Um, This is, uh, I'll have to check this one out. The Story Factor. Um, I'll have to check that one out. Actually, for some rare thing, I actually have two two credits accumulated. I don't know how that happened. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it's been a, it's been a crazy couple of months. Um, but um, yeah, so yeah, definitely gonna check that out. And then the, the um, I really recommend there's a really good book. Um, it's really not a book. It's like a seminar. It's like two dollars. It's not worth the credit because credits are priced around twelve dollars. I see. It's a really interesting book. Uh, um, it was by Les Brown Jr. and he was the son of Les Brown, who was a who, who I think he's still alive, but he interesting character, but he was a, he was a motivational speaker and he, he kind of talks about a little bit about what it's like being a teenage son of a motivational speaker. And it was pretty fun, little, little funny moments in there. And another book that I read or listened to a couple of years ago that I, I really enjoyed. It was a lot. It was like a, it was like a 30 hour book. It was Titan. And it was about the rise of the Rockefeller family. Oh, I'm, I want to read that. That and was awesome. Reading all the, you know, uh, Succession is one of my favorite shows on HBO, but you know, I love I like hearing about empires. I mean, the Rockefellers were were an empire, really. Right, and his, they talk about his early childhood and stuff like that, and you, you can't help but draw parallels between him and Bezos because it's like huh, <laughs> they had a lot of things in common, and their, their approach to things was very much in common. Yeah, um, and that's another excellent book. Um, telling you, it takes a, it's a, you know, it's a certain a little bit of crazy, a little bit of, <laughs> you know, thinking way out of the box um, mm-hmm. and to learn, right? It's inspiring, but also scary. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> well, I need me. more coffee. Thanks for, um, thanks for uh, joining me here on the live stream and showing me your really cool home theater. Um, I love the, I love the couches and stuff like that. The red, yeah. The red couches and the Star Wars stuff. That's cool. Yeah. And um, thanks for joining. And uh, hopefully we'll see you. I'll see you. You'll, I'll be a guest on your stream and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, but it's been awesome. It's been awesome awesome speaking with you as well as working with you. And yeah. I'm going to roll out the fancy graphics to end the stream. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us.
You have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.